This morning we're continuing our series on thinking about the party of the church that we are a part of, this joyful place that should be um, the most joyful place on the planet, not just here at the river, but every church that comes together to glorify God and worship and lift up the name of Jesus should be that, that sort of environment of joy and life and laughter and um, warmth together. That we even walk through the challenges of life um, together and we can do that with joy as we learned um, quite a bit last week. This morning, we want to talk a little bit about the challenges that can steal the joy that we have as a community. And we want to think a little bit about um, one of those harder stories of scripture where God teaches his people Something very big, um, but he teaches it to them in a pretty challenging way. Um, We're going to spend some time in Acts chapter 5, the first 11 verses. Um, Before we do that, I'm going to ask, and I didn't didn't ask him beforehand, but I think I can do that because he prays for me every Sunday morning before the service. Bill, would you come on up a sec? Um, This is a guy who, and he even actually lives into what Nate had talked about. Um, He gives what he can, and one of the things that he says he can do is he can pray for the preacher every Sunday morning. So if you see Bill and I back by the sound booth back there, uh, it's because he He's got his hand on me, praying for God's anointing on um, uh, on me as as uh, I share God's word with you. But you also have a big week ahead, and um, we want to pray for that. Uh, Janet is having some surgery this week for a hip replacement. And I know that means that not only she, but you also are going to be spending some time in the hospital. And I'm we, the coach. You're the coach. Uh, so we pray God's strength and God's healing for you, and we pray God's strength and healing for your home, and that truly it is a place of, of good recovery. Bill, would you lead us in prayer this morning? Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to once again just be able to lift our voices in praise to you and also, Lord, that we can just learn more and more about you. And we just thank you that we could just surrender to you, Lord, this morning and uh, every morning, Lord. And we just ask that you be with Brother Scott. Let him say the words that you want him to speak and also, Lord, that you just uh, let the Spirit reign throughout the river here, Lord. And we just ask that you just be with us all and Lord, we just pray that we might be able to see your glory, be able to use that in our lives to help change the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. So um, a few years ago, I was part of something that I had never been a part of before in the way that I was a part of it. It's called this thing thing called Synod. And um, many of you probably don't know what Synod is, but um, if Pastor Will were here, he could give you the history of Synod and exactly all the things that have happened at Synod over the years. Pastor Will loves Synod. He's been there many times. It's a gathering of all the churches in North America, of which the river is a part, and they send leaders from uh, representing all those different churches to a gathering And for about a week, it's a group of maybe about three to four hundred people who sit together and talk about things of the church, things of the denomination that we are a part of, the Christian Reformed Church in North America, things that are um, challenging to think about. How do we think about things like race in our culture? Those are oftentimes conversations. How do we think about um, even um, things like sexuality? How do we think about um, the sort of the trajectory of culture in our church? So we talk about those things and make some decisions 
decisions that become, in essence, our instructions as church leaders on how to um, uh, just govern the church, lead the church, think about the church together, think about faith together in our culture. And a number of years ago, I think it was about three, maybe four years ago, I went to Synod for the first time as what is called a delegate, meaning a voting member of Synod. And um, it can be boring sometimes. You're sitting there, you're part of conversations, and some of those conversations, as soon, I got to tell you this, and this happens sometimes in council, and forgive me, council members, but when the finance discussion comes, like, I'm, I'm off. I, I'm looking at columns with numbers and who has what money and where the money goes. So that sometimes is just really hard for me to pay attention. Well, there's a lot of that that happens at Synod. And there's other reports sometimes that are, I get really excited about. In fact, um, you would be surprised to find out at this particular Synod, you actually have to sign in in order to speak in front of Synod. Um, they actually gave me an award, this, uh, the, the seminary professors at this particular synod, because I was the one who spoke the most, which is very unusual. I, I, don't, I don't try to speak that much. I'm usually slow to speak and quick to listen. Um, but uh, you're part of these things, and, and some, some of the stuff was just awesome. I was there with a number of friends and people that I know, and the conversations were about sort of the life-giving environment of the church and how we do this well and how do we, how do we express our faith in, in issues of justice and issues of race and issues of, of life and the challenges. And so much of it was just so beautiful and, and blessed because you're with people from all over North America, in fact, all over the world. And that was for a week. And we were on Friday afternoon, and we were supposed to get done at about 2.30, and then we would all get on airplanes and fly home or drive home or whatever we were going to do. And it was the last little action that we had to do. And it was a, a tense conversation. It was about, um, I don't even remember what it was about, and it really doesn't matter, but we had made a decision and we were done with everything and then this one guy stands up. And he stands up to the microphone and the microphone was on the floor so he had to, you know, with everybody else. And then he began, he began his speech by saying, you have no idea how disappointed I am in all of you and in the church. And for about five minutes, he dressed down 400 people for all the work that they had done over the week because they didn't make the decisions that he thought that they should make. He disagreed with this. He mentioned that. He disagreed with this thing. He mentioned that thing. He disagreed with this idea. He mentioned that. And all of us were sitting there a little shell-shocked. I remember just sitting in my chair thinking to myself, hey, buddy, want to go outside for a couple minutes? I was angry. I was hurt. I had been a part of this wonderful week of godly, beautiful activity, talking about the church, talking about faith, worshiping together, spending time with people that I love and who love Jesus. And all of a sudden, this guy takes everything that was going on through that week and tells us what he feels about it in this disappointing way. Now, I praise God that the person who is in charge of the meeting did a really good job with what happened next. And he ended up deflating the balloon of, of poison 
that had been blown up so that not too many people were hurt. But I'll tell you this. When I think about that meeting, that synod, that week, and it was in Iowa, which is already a a hard thing for me, but when I think about that week, it doesn't take more than 30 seconds that I think about that five minutes that that man took to basically indict all of us for not doing the things that he wanted us to do. It changed it. And moments like that can change things. And in our text this morning, we have such a moment. And it's a big moment. It's often one of those moments that when we read the text of Acts, we read through it and we say, oh, that's too bad. Or we read it and go, wow, that was serious. But we don't, I think, understand the full scope of the consequence of the moment of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of the book of Acts. I encourage you to turn and open your Bibles there. We'll begin with the first two verses. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now, again, if you want to read and understand a little bit more what he's talking about, um, go back to verse 32 of chapter 4 and read that story of what the believers were doing. They were selling pieces of land, sharing everything that was there, and giving to each other so that no one had need. Okay? That was the sort of the context. Ananias and Sapphira were living into that, so they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now you read this, and the question that you might pose almost immediately is, well, what's the issue? What's the problem? Ananias and Sapphira were being generous in a sense. They didn't have to give anything. They could have simply sold that piece of property and kept all the money for themselves. But that's not what they did. They sold the piece of property and then in essence said, here's the price that we got from the piece of property. But that wasn't true. Obviously, that's a little bit of a problem because we might call that a fib or a lie. But what we see here really quickly is that it's much more than just telling a little fib and fudging the numbers. That there was something much deeper here that was hazarding all that previous stuff that you read in chapter 4 that was going on in the life of the church. The joy, the fullness, everyone having their needs met. There was something that Ananias and Sapphira were doing that were putting that at risk. And unfortunately, that risk ends up to be met and the consequence happens. See, the problem here is really just its motivation. Ananias and Sapphira are wanting to look good in the community. In a sense saying, almost, if the deacons, if we had someone standing up here with an offering bag, coming up and saying, here's my check. Almost, look at me. Check out what I'm doing. And they wanted that sort of recognition and that sort of praise, but they also were living into the selfishness of wanting money for themselves. Now, what's interesting is that Peter never says here 
That wanting money for yourself to take care of your household needs is, is a bad thing. In fact, I expect all of you, I, I don't expect that anyone this morning when the offering came around gave absolutely everything that you had. Did, ever, did someone give like all their retirement fund this morning? That's too bad. We could probably use it. Did anyone give the mortgage or deed to their house? Well, maybe you want to give the mortgage to your house to the church, but not the deed. No? See, and, and that's not expected. That's not, that's not the instructions of Scripture that that's what you and I give. It is the Lord's. And certainly if he asked it of us, then in obedience we should give it. But my expectation is that he's not asked that of a single one of you this morning. The problem here is in the motivation of Ananias and Sapphira. And that motivation has severe consequences for them. What are those consequences? Verse 3. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart You've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And some young men came forward, wrapped up his body. They carried him out. And they buried him. Now, again, I just, my brain is constantly going when I read scripture. Does anyone think this is a little drastic? Like, okay, he fibbed about the money. Now he's dead. He, he, Changed the number, and now he's gone. Like, it seems like that is completely out of proportion to the sin. But again, I think it's important for us to understand what's really going on here. Because remember, first of all, that Pentecost had happened. Right? What's Pentecost? It's where we have the, the, the Holy Spirit and come. And where is it? Where does it go? It goes where? In us. All right? So Ananias and Sapphira are living with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where? In them. And they are telling the lie with the Holy Spirit present in them. We don't hear about that in the Old Testament. We don't hear about that in the, 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 even the story of the Gospels very much. There's a couple little slices. You can find it if you're looking for it. But here we know because of Acts 2 and Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is present with Ananias and Sapphira. And you can believe. Can you imagine the conversation even between Ananias and Sapphira before it happened? Ananias sells the field. And maybe he has a conversation with Sapphira beforehand. He says, hey, should we sell that field? And she says, yeah, but that field's worth a lot of money. And you know what? My bathroom could use some renovation. So why don't we sell the field for X amount of dollars, but we'll tell them that, that we got this amount of money and then we can use the rest for the bathroom renovation. Or maybe it was him, because I don't want to just put the impetus on the ladies here. Maybe it was him and he said, well, I really want that jet ski. The Sea of Galilee is perfect this time of year. 
And I, I want to keep some of that money in order to have a jet ski. I mean, you can imagine. And then they're like, okay, uh, well, what do you think? Should we tell? Should we do it? Should we do it? Yeah, we should do it. Problem was, there's not two people having the conversation. Because a third is present. Right? The Holy Spirit is present. And the Holy Spirit is, is in the middle of the lies. And you can imagine God's anger. Him saying, I gave you that field. I've given you everything. In fact, not so long ago, I gave you something else. Like, I don't know, my son. And now you're quibbling over whether or not you want a jet ski or a bathroom renovation. I've given you everything. Now you want to lie to me, lie to the community, get recognized, but still be selfish. That's what was at risk. That the Holy Spirit was being lied to. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, one thing that happens immediately is the joy of the Lord is lost. When the joy of the Lord is lost, that's the moment that changes everything. It's like that guy at Synod completely taking away from everyone's experience, except even more so. Again, read chapter 4, verses 30 through 32 through 37. What do you hear? You hear about the people giving freely. They're experiencing the joy of the Lord. No one had need. There was this life that was given. And all of a sudden now, through Ananias and Sapphira's choice in that moment to lie, the moment changes everything and everything after that is different. You ever had those moments where that moment happens and everything after that is completely different in the light of that moment? I, I just want to mention three of them this morning. There, I can't remember exactly the moment, but I can tell you the day. August 9, 1994, one moment. March, or uh, excuse me, December 21, 1999, second moment. May 17, 2004, third moment. What moments are they? They might know Katie, Cameron, and Troy's birthdays. Those are the days when one, two, then three children entered the world into the Algrisma family life. And you know what happened? Every moment after that was shaped differently. Katie came, our lives were different. We got a lot less sleep. We had, we had more poop in our house. We spent more money on groceries. And we had challenges then with a toddler and then with an older child. And then all of a sudden Cameron shows up. Well, then you double that. We can still play man to man. We're not in zone yet, but we're still struggling with some of the challenges of what it means to parent. And then you've got two and they both have needs. And then Troy shows up. And in the midst of all of those things, there's all these beautiful joys that come. And I cannot imagine any of my life what it would be without those three moments happening. Everything after that is changed because of those moments. Now, those are positive moments. And that's what I wanted you to hear. That let's, let's, let's make everything negative this morning. There's those positive moments that change everything. But here is one of those negatives. And everything after this moment in Acts chapter 5 is changed. It's different. Instead of the full and complete joy of the church, 
you see instead different behavior. But unfortunately, the story isn't done yet. Ananias has been addressed, but the story's compounded. Chapter, or verse 7, about three hours later, his wife Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, now hear these words, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Now, really quickly, you have a man and a woman who are married trying to hide their sin from God. Sound familiar to anybody? Where else do we see that? Genesis chapter 3. You can go back and read the story. My guess is you know it. Adam and Eve. It's the exact same sort of activity. It's like they had this agreement beforehand. And we see that with God in the garden with Adam and Eve. He, he asks them the question, did you? And all of a sudden they try to hide in Genesis chapter 3. The same question gets asked here. And Peter is giving Sapphira the opportunity. He's giving her the chance. Tell me. Please tell me. Admit. Clear the air. Here's your chance. Here's the opportunity. Otherwise, there's consequence. And that consequence is the three, the, the men walking at the door who just buried her husband. There's that consequence. But you have the opportunity now. What happened? And she says... Yeah, that's the way it worked. And we see exactly what happens to her. In a sense, this is, this is the same experience that you and I have in our lives. God says to us, tell me. He says, tell me. Tell me about this past Thursday. Is this what you did? Tell me about that issue with your phone or your computer. Tell me about that, that issue that you have with alcohol. Is that an issue? Tell me about these things that you said to her, said to him. Tell me. Here's your opportunity. Here's your chance. God offers that to us every moment of every day. He is saying, my arms are open, full of grace, if you will but, what? Surrender. Say what is true. Confess, repent, walk into the freedom of grace. I can imagine if, if Sapphira had in this moment said to Peter, oh, Peter, I'm sorry. We were stupid. We should never have done this. But here's what we did. I have to believe, I have to believe that Peter would have said, go in peace for the blood of Jesus offers you the forgiveness for your sin. Because that's who God is. And he is that to us every day, every moment. No matter how many times we come to the foot of the cross, as Terry sang this morning. Where you and I are made complete. Where the offering of forgiveness is, is, is given. 
no matter how many times God still says, he says, tell me, here's your chance. Be honest, be open. Share with me who you really are inside. And I love you for who you are. I forgive you for those things. I offer you grace and I offer you life. But we have to respond to the question, tell me. And friends, so often, unfortunately, we don't. The passage concludes. And here's where we see that everything changed. At that moment, she fell down and died. She fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in. Finding her dead, they carried her out. Buried her beside her husband. Listen. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Really quickly, look back at verse 32 of chapter 4. What does it say there? Now, it says there, all the believers were what? One, in heart and in mind. They together in, verse, in chapter 4 are experiencing joy. They're experiencing life. They're experiencing fullness. And here in chapter 5, because of selfishness and the deceiving of the Holy Spirit, everything has changed. And now all of a sudden, there is grief and there is fear. There is this questioning. Can you imagine then what would happen during offering time in the church? Can you imagine what happened next? You know, someone sells a field and they say, here, Peter, here's my offering. What's going to happen? Do you think that they even want to go there? Some of them would probably say, I'm not even sure that I want to give because look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Their heart wasn't right. And because their heart wasn't right, they, they, they're dead. What could happen to me if my heart isn't right? Friends, this is the consequence of sin. And it's an individual consequence. There's a death that we experience. When God offers us the opportunity with the question, tell me, and we know that quickening of our hearts, the quickening of our spirits, when God is confronting us with that, when he is saying, be free of this sin, open up to me, confess to each other so that you might experience the freedom and the fullness of forgiveness. Tell me, we know what that moment looks like. And if we don't enter into it, the pain that we feel, the conviction, the guilt even that we can feel. And that guilt has consequence for us, but it also has consequence for the community. There are stories that can be told that are many years past of how guilt impacted this community, sin impacted this community, words spoken, relationships broken, behavior entered into. Some of the, some of the folks who've been here for, for decades and decades can tell you the story of this or tell you the story of that. And they can tell you how one couple's, one family's, one person's, one office bearer's, one pastor's sin impacted the community greatly. And what was lost? Joy. But the beautiful part is, and I don't want to leave you in that place. I want you to also hear that there are stories of redemption. There are stories of forgiveness. There are stories of freedom. 
There are stories when somebody or, or some person, some family, some couple has the courage to say, we're really, really struggling with this sin, with this disobedience, with the consequence of this thing in our life. This is, we want freedom. We want life. Can the community offer that? And it happens. It's happened before and it can happen again. Here's where I want to close this morning. See, I think that God this morning is saying to some of you, he's asking you this question. He's saying, tell me, tell me, is this what happened? Tell me, is this the way things are? Tell me, is this where your life is right now? And he's giving you and I the opportunity to actually crack open the dark spaces of our heart. Those places that are hard to go, painful to go, challenging to go. Because they involve us being vulnerable about our own brokenness, our own weakness, our own failures. Our own motivations that are wrong. And it's, it's that, that opportunity that, that was provided to Sapphira. Tell me. Because grace is, is, is available. Love and forgiveness is available. But we have to tell. We have to tell. We've got to open it up. Has anyone ever, and I'm not, I, not going into particulars here. Has anyone ever had a hidden thing that came into the light? And when that hidden thing came into the light, it was like there was a whole new freedom that you'd never known before? Has anyone ever had that? I have. I've had that. See, remember I told you that story about my mom and taking money from the Sunday school bag? Taking all the quarters, taking some money to go down to the arcade? See, the second part of that story is how I felt afterwards. Afterwards, it was like, I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to sneak around. I don't have to try to cover myself. That's the problem with lying and hiding. That's the problem that Ananias and Sapphira didn't look towards, that they would have to give answer. And the question for us this morning is simply this. Do you want to experience that life of freedom? I knew it as a nine or a 10-year-old when my mom said, I forgive you for what you've done. And it's offered to us today. After the service, I'll be up here. And I want to help you experience that freedom and that life. But it has to come with the honesty moment. If you don't want to do that this morning, I completely understand. It's a public thing. Maybe this is something that you want to enter into in private. Maybe you need to seek out a godly sister or brother who, in Christ who can walk you through what it means when God asks you, tell me, what it means for you to be honest, to seek confession. See, that's, that's the power of confession. First John chapter one in the beginning of chapter two will tell you all about the beauty of confession. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just. And fully forgiveness forgives us of all of our sins. And friends, this morning, in that question that God is asking, tell me. He's giving you the opportunity to confess your sin so that he can be faithful and just 
and purify you from all unrighteousness. That was what was offered to Ananias and Sapphira, if they were willing. And it's offered to us. And in the same way that Ananias and Sapphira experienced death because they didn't answer, we too will experience death. Oh, it may not be that we'll fall down and we'll have to call an ambulance in the corner and do all that crazy stuff at church. But a part of you dies inside. A little part of your heart gets closed off. It gets hardened. The blood stops rushing there. The spiritual blood that gives you life and gives you joy. But if you are willing, the blood comes in. It's not yours. It's the blood of Christ. And it gives you a new heart, new space, new life, and new freedom. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we hear that we are offered the opportunity. The opportunity to stand before you and answer the question, tell me. And we've already heard that before the table, that grace is offered. That our sin does not have the consequence of eternally separating us from you. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ. You have given us enough that our sin is not insurmountable. That our sin is not something that will will consume us. Instead, Lord, you give us the opportunity to enter into grace in such a way that it brings life. And I pray, Father, because I know there are people here who are in that space, that beating of the heart, quickening of their spirit, Because they know those places where they are hiding, where they're standing before you as Sapphira did before Peter, trying to figure out if they're going to answer with honesty or to continue the lie. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you equip them with your presence and your quickening enough, Lord, that they would be willing to enter into the freedom of new life. Freedom from sin, freedom from the power of sin to, to consume us. Bring us less joy, to even bring us death. Bring, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you you do this in our hearts, because we know you're the only one who can. Lord, we pray these things all in Christ. Amen.